Can I tell you what the funniest thing about this whole little tweet exchange is? Who did I think I was? I was just like, I set it up. Who? I barely knew you guys. And I was like, I figured it out. Don't worry. Here is a database for you. Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast. Brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way. And that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Just a very quick housekeeping announcement before we get started. Those of you who use manuscriptwishlist.com, as of Monday, it's going to look completely different. Don't worry. We weren't hacked by somebody who made a beautiful website and put it up without our knowledge. We've actually been working on it for like two years <laughs> to make this new version. So things are going to roll out kind of slowly. You can go there and see a list of the first phase of everything that's going to change. And then we're going to start a series called MSWL Live, and then we'll take little chunks of that and put it on manuscript wish list profiles. But yeah, again, don't panic. Not an accident. It's supposed to look different. Okay. Let us know if you have questions. Okay. So we're talking about the origins of the manuscript wish list. And KK, I need to, I need to hear about you and who you were back in 2013. In June of 2013, I was 21 years old. I was a baby. That's right. I remember I was so surprised when I learned how young you were. So it's 2013. Kika, you're a child. You're 21 years old. And you're writing. And you're interested in publishing. And you're also a digital native. I had been following her on Twitter for a while. And Jessica was just, you know, tweeting into the abyss, as we all do. It was a different time on Twitter. It felt so new. It felt like it was just kind of this weird, cool novelty where you could throw your ideas into the universe and creative people would see them. And it, amazingly, the right people tended to see them. So 2013, we were coming off of post-2008. You know, everything was terrible in publishing then. They said things like, look around, you'll never see shrimp at a publishing party again. <laughs> no and shrimp. That's it. <laughs> it's true. The shrimp and the cheeses went away for a while. But then slowly, the soft cheeses came back. And it probably was about 2013. That at the Book Expo McMillan party, I saw shrimp um, on a skewer in a cantaloupe. And I'm like, we're back. So, yeah, it felt very like we're back when all of this was happening. Oh, my gosh. Well, but 2013, the communities were being built. You know, people were meeting on Twitter and then meeting at live conferences. And you were finding this kind of booming writing haven that was yeah. totally different from Facebook. And real relationships were being made. So you've got cantaloupes, you've got shrimp, you've got magic. A Tumblr, was, a Tumblr page. This was a little bit after Pit Mad. It's so weird to me. I was thinking about it today that just like this thing that started as this semi-silly, not particularly serious Twitter conversation is now a thing that exists outside of us. And I see people talking about it all over the internet as if it's a credible source, which it is. But like, thinking back to us 10 years ago, I don't, I don't know if we could have foreseen this one. No, not at all. I, I think it was so interesting how we were just like, you know what? Let's give it a go. <laughs> For young agents, there was so much possibility in terms of 
here's what you want and nobody knows that you want it. Kind of like, how do you get a job if it's not on your resume? So you could definitely find out what people had already sold, but it was driving me nuts that I would go to conferences and people would have these amazing books and I knew them on Twitter and I was like, hey, why didn't you send it to me? Because I was rude. And they'd be like, oh, but you don't want that. I'm like, I do, actually. I just haven't sold any yet. So I guess I just Mm -hmm. kind of thought other people would be having that too. And also I'm one of those people who will just have a random idea that's like, yeah, this would be cool to read, type, 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 send. So why not organize all of that? I wasn't the only one doing that. I think also there was a feeling of just annoyance about the lack of efficiency, especially yeah. like, as you said, Julie, the writing community was just flourishing on Twitter. And there were just so many people who were more like, I guess, digitally aware than the great lumbering mm-hmm giant beasts (laughs) that are (laughs) traditional publishing. And it just felt silly that people weren't taking advantage of the technology that was available. You know, it's it's so interesting to me after teaching mass communications. And I used to pull up, I don't know if you guys know this, before I knew Jessica, I used to pull up manuscript wish list for my students. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think I ever told you that. I'd pull it up and I would have them go through it and work backwards and use it as a search engine. And I was like, you need an idea? Look, they're just giving you ideas. And I didn't even know you, Jess. I mean, that's so weird, right? How it's weird. How it was tr- it turned into something that, you know, at conferences, at, you know, they'd be like, how do you utilize Twitter? What is this new thing? And it was revolutionary. I mean, like, it, it blew my mind when I saw how much easier publishing was with what you guys created. And it was funny to me, too, because whenever people had heard of it for years, I was surprised. Or they would just mention it to me as like, oh, this is a thing you should check out. Yeah, I mean, but I also remember us like in the beginning having to teach people how to search using hashtags on Twitter. Yeah. I remember us making, I think we made little infographic type of things. To be like, here's how you look up, you know, sure, you could do hashtag MSWL, but then you can also use additional keywords. We had your version of the website and you did so much work just throwing things into a Tumblr all the time, updating tweets. There were tags, there was a tagging system and people started querying me. (laughs) And I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I cannot help you with this. That's funny. I like that. So can you... Talk about some a dark day from when you launched MSWL. It's turned into something that has been so efficient and amazing for so many writers um, that no one really thinks about where it came from or how hard it might have been. I mean, there were definitely writers who were mad that they couldn't pitch their books on it. I didn't love that. Um, there was one MSWL day where I ended up in Twitter jail, which is fine. I where... ended up in Tumblr jail. There's a maximum number of posts that one can post per day. And I exceeded that on the first MSWL. We definitely crashed the MSWL site like multiple times from too much traffic. And people are like, what's going on? You're not real. And we're like, no, we swear we are. So I would say, KK, your version was version 1.0. Then we had version 2.0, which we worked on one summer and looked more like a website. Um, and I was hand updating everything. So every time um, someone wanted a change, they'd be like, hey, can you change this comma over here? Hey, mm-hmm. can you change this word to this other word over here? And so these requests, of course, would like really pile up. And 
I just remember sitting at this like awful glass table that my (laughs) apartment at the time had. Um, And it was probably like nine or 10 at night. And I was so tired from a whole day of agenting. And it was just like, ding, ding, ding. Why haven't you done this? Ding, ding. And I just, ah, you know, that was that was a point where I was like, I don't know if we can keep doing this because it's just it's just too many people want too much too fast. And I'm tired. And I mean, that inbox is still a lot. Um, I remember calling up agents to help them learn how to log in. And, you know, people in publishing, very smart, not always the most tech savvy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'd get on the phone. I'd be like, okay, click on this thing. This was like pre-Zoom. Okay, click on this thing. Click on this thing. I remember one agent got so frustrated, but she also like started singing. So that was like an interesting novelty. (laughs) Um, lovely voice. Gosh, I remember having to hand sell the idea to people over and over and over again. It was like, hi, we've got this hashtag. You can tweet things. No, I'm busy. Hi, we've got this website. Um, you can send us things one time that you would normally send to agents or to editors. Oh, that sounds hard. Um, and I guess at some point we just kind of got a critical mass where people decided it was worth trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also. It tended, we tended to get newer people who would sign up first because granted, Jessica did most of the networking because she was an agent and I was, as you said, a child who did not work in publishing, but I would go to book events in New York City, you know, Books of Wonder, different in McNally Jackson. And I would end up meeting people who were newer editors, editorial assistants, baby agents. And I would mention it to them. And the the newer people were a lot more willing because I think just, you know, growing up more tech savvy, being like, oh, that's great. Oh, all I have to do is just like email you a paragraph. That's it. Oh, yeah, sure. What's the email? And then we started getting like, you know, emails, DMs, tweets from writers and agents being like, hey, guys, guess what? Guess what your little hashtag did? We're like, wait, other people think this is also a good idea. That's so cool. How does that even happen? Especially since everyone's like, I'm too busy to tweet. <laughs> and here's the thing. Nobody is ever too busy to tweet. And then the story started trickling in. And I think that all, you know, collectively, it was enough for people to be like, oh, actually, I do have a spare 10, 15 minutes to type up my little paragraph of things that I'm looking for for books and email it. And then send follow-up emails to change things. I remember, I remember them like trickling in in the beginning and being like, wait, for real? People were like, I found, I signed my agent. I signed an agent. And I found them. Or people would be like, yeah, so in my query letter, I definitely make sure that I mention, oh, I saw your tweet on MSWL. And, you know, <laughs> people who were physically inputting that information, mm. you know. It wasn't going into like a black hole of nothing. People were using it. Then Mike and Sierra came along and suddenly we had a site where people could log in and update their own stuff. And I wasn't spending hours a week doing people's commas anymore. That just feels like a lot. It was a lot. Jessica was doing an enormous amount of work. I had more energy and time. Think we all did. No, I think you're a visionary. I'll just want to put that out there about you, Jessica. I think that you're somebody willing. And KK. You're the person who made us legit and actually happen in what four minutes? 
the whole thing was bananas. I I am still like very, very surprised because I mean, I thought it was just going to be like I did so many random like fun things like, hey, guys, let's have a bad query contest. Hey, guys, let's all pitch Jane Austen so we can see that you can pitch the same work different ways. Hey, guys. You know, I was always doing the like, hey, guys. And then <laughs> and then when this happened, it was just a very surprising. Hey, guys. It was a very surprising. Because this hey, guys came with legs. Yeah. I did not expect any of that to happen. I mean, I don't want to like toot anyone's horn here. But also, it's like an industry standard now. And that's wild. You know, when you look up articles, I'm like, how do I query? They mentioned that must be well. When I'm, you know, minding my business, scrolling through, filling social media of choice. And people mention MSWL. It's just, it really is for so many new authors. I wouldn't necessarily equate it to like publisher's lunch and stuff like that. But like to them, it's the same. It's in the same breath because they walked into an industry that just had the things. It gave me the chills. I remember one time <laughs> I was so surprised because Writer's Digest wrote about us in print and got the link wrong. And I <laughs> was going to the old Tumblr um, when we'd set up version two. I, th I think this was version two or two mm -hmm. version three. And um, I remember frantically being like, how do you forward a Tumblr address to a regular URL. And I found the answer because some lovely Tumblr person figured that out. And so I'm like frantically redirecting the domain. And, you know, it worked. Thank goodness, because that was a lot of traffic we almost missed out on. But that A, they would talk about us and B, they wouldn't talk to us about talking. It, anyway. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, and there were yes. definitely articles where people are like, here's why I hate MSWL. Hot take. You don't know what you want until you get it. End. <laughs> Listen, been like 15 or 20 of those. It's fine. I mean, it's it's the internet. People are going to have their opinion. And God bless them all. They all want to share it. But yeah. And it's like, yeah, you could tweet that you want something incredibly specific. But also, how do we know that you want something within that genre? And there's so much variety within a genre. You know, I love Megan Abbott. I love stories about girls stopping serial killers. But if it's some guy defusing a bomb, I do not care. And, you know, you can check a box in a lot of places and say thrillers, but there's a lot within. Sometimes it's a disappointing filter, mm. you know, because sometimes you have big dreams of very specific agents and you set your cap for a specific life, you know, your life to happen a very specific way with very specific people. But it's also nice to be able to be like, oh, this is not going to work before. You go through the emotional turmoil of having to send that query letter and tailor it to make sure it matches. It's just, it's, it helps. Yeah. Yeah. And within an agency, if you're deciding which agent to send something to, this could save you a lot of time, a lot of heartache. Like, yes, we love to pass to people within the agency, but only if we're really sure that they're going to like it. You know, we don't send everything that we think they might like. It's useful for me looking for editors with an imprint too, because you get one agent per agency, you get one editor per imprint. Like sometimes it's really hard to choose. I think that's a really nice um, way to just know a little bit more about that. What do you both wish that everyone understood about Mariscript Wishlist that they might not? 
I think it's really important to know that agents are doing this because they love books. This is the stuff where they're like, oh my gosh, you know, it would be so great and I cannot wait to spend 15 hours reading this for the first time and months editing this and years talking to this client on the phone. You know, you need that kind of connection to be passionate enough and to help you find someone that is that passionate. It's tough because people don't always, you know, wear that like a sandwich sign. You can't always tell what people are passionate about unless you specifically ask them. And I think that enthusiasm is really contagious. You know, you see people being like, oh my gosh, I would love to see that too, except I want it in space. I would, you know, it's just this big creative um, way for people to add on to stuff. I think it layers something else I used to do when I was teaching. And I thought this is all, it's all, you guys are bringing it all back. But I would force someone to look at an author's face or their headshot and then have my students try to guess what they wrote about. You know, Ooh. and I think that's something really interesting about MSWL that we can even go to a live conference and everyone's so buttoned up and, you know, professional and that's yeah. what they're supposed to be. And then they go and they, even their tweets can be pretty professional and they go on her <laughs> like manuscript wish list. And they're like, whatever, bunnies and cheese, like whatever it is, like murderers and, you know, like fairies to islands or like wh whatever it is, it's. It can be so different than what you'd expect. Yeah, I think so, we were, as an industry, more formal back then. It was mm. a novelty to hear what an agent was really thinking about something mundane at that point. People did wear jeans to work, but um, it was, yeah, there was a certain wall in between what agents were doing and thinking about and what was happening in the industry versus what you get to see. And now you get to see a lot. Like, mm. you know. Sometimes I'm like, wait, I can see inside this editor's house. I don't feel like I should be allowed to see inside this editor's house on Instagram. I don't know what's happening right now. Like that still sets off my like, I don't know, pearl clutching filter. I mean, back then it really was absolutely a novelty to like get to see that side of a person in the industry. Sometimes even if you were in the industry. When you're on the other side and there's that formality and it's, it's really interesting. Venerating people gets very dangerous very quickly. And I think, you know, for all sides, not feeling like you can interact with somebody, even, even in a professional context, because at the end of the day, you know, it's still a business. And so your agent is still a business partner. Your editor is still a business partner. They are still professional colleagues. Like that level of veneration is dangerous because it lends itself to gross power imbalances that are not really there, but are built to be there. And humanizing people will always help in removing whatever ridiculous pedestal anybody has put anybody else on. And that's not a bad thing. Being able to recognize another person's humanity is always good. It always is productive. Sometimes it's scary for the people whose pedestals are slowly being, you know, <laughs> moved off stage. But I think it creates a more equitable, fair, and honest community. There's obviously, you know, what to be said about whisper networking. But sometimes it's really important to say the quiet thing out loud. And being able to just look at another person and say, hey, as a person who's looking to go into business with you, 
I'm looking at you as a human being. But also, you want to like a person you're going to business with. Because God, that would be horrifying. You're like, well, this is my business partner. And I hate them. And I hate everything about them. And everything they ever do makes me want to make my skeleton crawl out of my body and run screaming in the other direction. What kind of terrible relationship is that to be? But then also, you know, once again, it is a business. You still have to be careful about who you're interacting with. I always hope that by other people recognizing other people's humanity by learning about them as like who they are and not just by their accomplishments. It makes it easier to respect them and to treat them like a person because that's also a thing. A lot of people forget that everybody on the other side of an inbox is a person who has a lot of feelings, probably too many. And being able to recognize their humanity means if you send them an email, you're sending it to a person. You're not sending it to a faceless, you know, you're not sending it to the keeper of all of your dreams. And when they respond kindly back with, I'm sorry, I'm not looking for that right now. That's a person. And it's not, you know, the industry that's crushing their dreams. That's a person who's like, actually, sorry. And it's nothing personal. And then being able to, you know, collect yourself and be like, oh, that wasn't personal. Rejection was not you know, especially in the industry. It's not personal. And so I think, I mean, I always hope that people can recognize that other people are also people. As I said, my little optimism, Pollyanna, inside of me just thinks that that helps make things a better, happier, and safer place for all of us collectively. I'm so happy you said that because you're right. It, there is something really humanizing about watching people go out on a limb and say, I don't have this. I want this. I hope for this. I don't know if it can happen. The odds of it happening exactly as I want are probably pretty small. But here's what I wish would happen. And it's kind of this great example of the industry's subjectivity, right? Because if everyone wants something that is so specific and so outlandish and you know, and that you would never expect. You never know who's going to want what. It kind of makes it so that you can see the subjectivity of not wanting something too. So when you get rejected, you can see, okay, well, it's just, this is a very specific person with a very specific taste. And it's not that there's something wrong with me. It's just, they're not looking for this right now. Yeah. I think it, as you said, I think it's so beautiful to see people like dreaming loudly. Yeah. On the internet and feeling empowered to do that. To just be like, actually, I want this exact thing and I've always wanted it. And there's something so magical about seeing it happen because, you know, from the perspective of a writer, sometimes writers feel that they're the only ones who are taking chances and they're not. <laughs> the whole industry is people, you know. Quote Miss Rizzle, and I will possibly misquote this, but taking chances and making mistakes and getting messy. It's all of us, you know, collectively who are trying that. And it's so cool. It's the coolest thing that you watch everybody along the chain being like, this is my big dream. Or even this is my medium dream. Or even this is the goofiest, silliest dream that I never told anybody about because I thought it was silly. But you know what? I felt like saying it today. And then someone else being like, oh, my God, that was also my 
big goofy silly dream and i never wanted to tell anybody because i was like too goofy and silly and just having so many people all like find each other and then at the end everybody's goofy silly dream turns into like a book it turns into a story and then what do you have then you have readers who are like i never this is exactly what i've always wanted to read is this exact goofy silly thing and it's all from just everybody just loudly telling other people what they think is fun and cool and exciting and that's always magical and it makes those dreams that you think are goofy and silly over time seem less so because you've watched over time that people can have something so specific and people can have this absolute irrational love for something that just has absolutely no context for it in the quote-unquote real world. You can watch people say, I'm thinking about this thing, maybe I'm the only one, and have them just happen to run into somebody with this amazing synchronicity of I've had that exact thought, that exact feeling, wanted that exact world. And I think that's really beautiful because, you know, we shouldn't be alone in our tougher feelings either, but it's nice to not be alone in our happy ones and our hopes. And I think the world could stand a little bit more these days, especially. Hey, Gay, let's talk about the parties for a minute. Because we did throw some pretty sweet parties. When people could breathe safely around others. Jessica, because Jessica is always down for a good time that involves balloons and baked goods and gathering people together to, you know, hang out, meet each other. I think that's always, that's always been part of it is, is there's always been an undercurrent of let's make everybody be friends with each other. Yeah. Because Jessica and I are both like that. They were both like, but what if everybody liked each other? What if we were all friends? What if we could get people together? Here, these are your coworkers. They're really nice people. How about you guys become friends? We know that you both like the same thing, which is books. Like maybe you like other things that are the same. And maybe, you know, an agent has a writer that you, an editor, did not know about because the agent didn't know that you were secretly looking for, I don't know, cowboy werewolves and just have people come together. I remember the first one. I did not know how to do anything. So I, I could barely make a reservation at a restaurant, let alone like, hey, we're going to have somewhere between 20 and 80 people, somewhere between an hour and like three hours um is that okay and and we did find a place i i remember i was going through a phase of really liking bars that had like red velvet so i remember the first one had red velvet and little chandeliers in that like edgy hipster way not in the like you know 200 years ago way and um yeah i remember they're like do you need food for your event and i was like i don't know how much does that cost okay uh nachos and then they're like you know, if you get enough food for 20 people and there are 80 people, those other 60 people are not going to feel good about it. And I'm like, excellent point. And I remember there was this one bartender who just ran around. I don't even know how she did it. She ran around this party of, I think it ended up being like 80 people, getting everyone's drink order, somehow remembering all of them, bringing everyone everything mid-conversation. I was running around like, hey, do you know this person? You should know this person. Here's this other person. That was party one. Party one was terrifying, but amazing. 
we tried to get the letter balloons because that was an interesting. Remember that, KK? Remember, I definitely remember the the hashtag balloons. I think like half of them popped by the time we got there, but you know, I think the M survived, so that's <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, we brought in all kinds of stuff. I do love helium balloons. The first party was in September of 2014, oh. and we made labels and we used people. We put people's name. And we put their Twitter handle and we put their picture from their Twitter bio. And then a little, little like just labels are on the bottom. We had the hashtag MSWO with the little Twitter wordy. Yeah, that's right. Because I was big into everyone putting their profile picture on their name tag at in-person events at that point. I was like, how am I going to recognize you if I've never seen? Yeah. So we made everybody have a little printout of their um, of their Twitter picture to cut out and stick on. And then I think the second one was in 2016 maybe yes i think it was early in the year i have a little <laughs> no, video that my there. phone made of um of a bunch of us together with a little hashtag light that i had and i remember we found this place and they're like it's uh a thousand dollars for the whole place but it's free if you want half and we're like we'll take half and no one else showed up and they let us fill the whole place with balloons and everyone was oh my gosh there were like 90 people there hashtag before time and yeah, we had a light. We had little um, cards for everyone to take to remind them to fill out their profile. We had cookies that Caitlin made that were hashtag shaped. KK, I remember I have a picture of one of the drinks you got that had an actual flower in it. Yeah, that was very, that was a very exciting evening. <laughs> that was because it also like anytime we did anything in person. It, it was like, oh, this is real. This is not just us. Yeah, I mean, it kind of felt like we were, like, having this dream that we'd wake up from at some point. Like, it it did not feel like a real thing that anyone was doing. I thought it was, like, a collective thing that we'd just, like, hallucinated together. All right. Are Um, we Dramatic reading? Okay. I'll be me. Julie, you can be Sarah and Dahlia. Okay. All right. So this is June 24th, 2013. Apparently, nine at night. There really should be a regularly updated hashtag with agent slash editor wishlist. Sometimes mine vary by the day. Five likes. I'm reading for Sarah Cannon at Jessica Sentheim. That is a brilliant idea. At Sarah Cannon. Surprised there isn't. Maybe there just isn't a cute hashtag. I hope Sarah Henning, who wherever she is, just sat up and said, hashtag three likes. Sarah Henning was amazing at hashtags at this time. I hope she's I hope she's doing well. Dahlia Adler, adding to the conversation. There used to be a hashtag Qish. But no agents really used it. Me, at Miss Dahlia Adler and at Sarah Cannon. Would love to bring in editors too, though. Dot, dot, dot. And then, little baby me. Four minutes later. To everybody and just says, done. Agent and editor wishlist.tumblr.com. Just put it up so there's nothing up yet. Oh. <laughs> and then we were real. <laughs> With the glory of the internet, all of a sudden... It's done. Yeah. It's amazing, you guys. It is and amazing. The first MSWL day was three days later. Can you imagine having an idea and making it happen in three days? Now, I <laughs> I remember emailing a ton of agents and editors who I thought would be down to like have an experiment. And then they were just like, I'm busy. And then suddenly a bunch of people just jumped on and it was, yeah, it was trending. That was so weird. It was, that was a wild day. 
I remember just sitting there typing furiously all day that day, the next day, because I was manually uploading every single tweet. Oh my gosh. (laughs) From, and I would have to ensure that the person who's tweeting was actually an agent or an editor and not just like a random person. And then would have to tag it appropriately on Tumblr. There was one point in an email that you sent, one of the emails, but you said, we are, when you Google manuscript wishlist, we are the first thing that pops up, which was both very exciting. And also the fact that like people were searching for it was also. I mean, I don't think people have a full idea of like what a random 20 something I was at that time. I didn't know how to do anything. So like, I I don't know, just all of it just seems incredibly lucky and serendipitous. How the hell did that happen? I mean, I'm so thrilled that it did, but like how? I think we were both, you know, young, optimistic people who wanted to know better. God, no. We absolutely did not know better. Not even a little bit. I feel like if I was doing that, I'd be like, that'd never work. Why would I try? Yeah, And like, you know, going back to the like magical things happen when you say your silly dreams out loud. Apparently, fast forward 10 years and people think you've been along as long as like publishers marketplace. And that's wild. Yeah. I'm glad we did it, though. I'm glad you were online when that happened. What if you hadn't been online? For real. I think I was, I was trying to figure it out. I think, I don't remember if I was between jobs at the time. I think maybe. Why would I have had the whole day to monitor hashtag on the internet and then manually type things out? So look at that. My little blip of unemployment in between jobs when I was 21 years old and the fact that I was scrolling on Twitter and the fact that you decided to tweet that. Right then. And, 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 and then everything that's happened and every serendipitous everything that's happened in between then and now. So many serendipitous things. Yeah, it sounds like me meeting you, Jessica. And I wonder if you're just the conduit of, you know, like, what's next, you guys? Like. What are your next steps with this? Well, if the uh, if the past is any indication of the future, all this random stuff is going to perfectly line up and make a lot of people happy. I think, you know, for anybody, like 10 years is a really long time. And I don't think any of us give ourselves enough credit for like what we've accomplished. But to be able to like have like a solid concrete piece of evidence to be like, no, you did. You, you did accomplish something as like a grown adult person besides stress out about work and pay your taxes like you're you accomplish something that helped other people which is you know in the grand scheme of the existential crisis it's really nice to know yeah because yeah you know we said we all like fling things out into the ether and sometimes they stick mm-hmm. and sometimes they stick and then they you know collapse dramatically and horribly and you're like well that was that was terrible and sometimes and sometimes other people can say that we helped them start their careers. I just, I will never, I will never be able to like comprehend the magnitude of a silly Twitter conversation, which is really cool. Hear that, Elon Musk? Don't kill Twitter. Yeah. 
I'm like, listen, pal, good things can happen. You just have to let them. You just have to give them space to breathe. Give them a safe container. Stop trying to sell your electric cars and have your midlife crisis. Just let people say silly things on the internet. Sometimes it works out for us all. This makes me so happy. Well, I am just, I am so grateful for everything. And like you said, like the magnitude of it, like I am, I, I, it's one of those things that it's like almost bigger than my brain can handle. Like Mm -hmm. how in the world did so many things line up exactly as they did? I I don't know, but I'm really glad they did. And it's really cool. Yeah. I'd like to thank you both for like opening up the curtain because I think it's, it's such an interesting story. And it's, I think for, once again, for the writers to understand, you know, like what goes into this and like where you've gone and, and really like, I know when they're listening, they're going to be like, like standing ovation. Like, thank goodness. There was this, you know, and I, I like, I know it's hard for you. I know you guys understand the implications, but speaking for all the writers, like it is, I mean, like, how do I even put it? It's, like it's exponentially <laughs> better for them because of what you created. And I think the community rallying around us like like a focal point has made it just like socially better for others. Writers can find other writers because they're all on MSW all together. You know, it's it's a way for them to congregate, but it's also a way for them to, you know, like reverse engineer and look at stories and look at trends and look at like all the things and um just by telling us this and like letting us know the struggles but also the really fun times i think people are going to be really love this podcast i'm just i'm just so grateful and yeah and i'm happy to see you always i know well i think we should have another party there's another party in our future i feel it always also you know it's also been fun to like look back at things as someone who's like re-evaluating (laughs) her whole life as usual but you are an author you've published so many books you don't even remember how many it's not like you're just jumping in from nowhere you know so you you had a personal like emotional practical stake in all of this too and an understanding of how it feels to be an author Mm -hmm. and then very quickly a very deep empathy in how it feels to be an agent because it's like why are people trying to query me with their books have we not read directions and the answer was no. No. No, they didn't. But yeah. So yeah, we're, you know, refinding the joy and et cetera, et cetera. Where can people find you and your work online? So technically, still on the internet. Just don't necessarily check it so often. But I'm around. Okay. So when you are haunting the internet, you're at KK Hendon. Yes, exactly. That is, in fact, still there. Thank you so, so much for doing this. Anytime. Thank you. Always my pleasure. All right. Good night, friends. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com 
with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.